You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. I want to say thank you to all of the families that were here last week for family worship. It was a great Sunday together as a church family. There was a literal buzz in the room at the 8.30 and 10 o'clock service. Um, but it, it was, I was so encouraged, parents, by you having your kids in the service uh, with us last Sunday. You could have went the easy route and stayed home, but you didn't take the easy route. You were in the service and your kids were in here. And yes, they were crawling around and diapers were being changed in the middle of the service. Um, But it was a great Sunday together as a church family. It was hard to focus in speaking, to stay focused, you know, as, as, uh, uh, Fire trucks are rolling across the front here, you know, and that kind of stuff. But but we we our ADA we fought through the DHD and we stayed focused on what God had us here uh, together as a church family. But I just I seriously I, I want to say thank you for making worship a priority and being here with your family. There's just something special about that of having everyone in the room together kids and all and just to hear the noise of kids and know they may not be hearing and I know you ain't hearing anything that I'm saying but that we're prioritizing gathering as believers together as a church family and then I think it also just does our heart good to be grateful for Pastor Todd and Jennifer who week after week have in our kids center lobby teachers and people investing in our kids on their level and we're so grateful for them as well. So just want to encourage you with that. No parent ever wants to get this news. This particular dad had been on a fishing trip with some of his closest friends and when they got back to the outfitters he was requested to call home immediately. He called home to find out that his 22-year-old son, who seemingly had perfect health, had died on a missions trip in Northern Ireland in the arms of his sister. As they were grieving the unexpected loss of their son and planning his funeral, not knowing that he was going to die, not, as they were planning his funeral, they found out through his small group of friends that several weeks before, at a small group gathering, they had each individually wrote down what songs they would want sung at their funeral and what passage of scripture that they would want preached on at their funeral. Not knowing, obviously, that he was going to pass away in just a few weeks. The passage of scripture that Alex had asked to be preached at his funeral, thinking it would be decades from them, from then, was Psalms 16. What is it about Psalms 16 that would lead a 22-year-old young man to request it to be preached at his funeral? What is it about Psalm 16 that would cause Paul and Peter to use this section of scripture 
in the New Testament to show that according to the scriptures, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was a part of God's plan for the salvation of mankind. There is something about Psalms 16 that breeds confidence in God, that breeds this trust in God. As you know, we've been studying through the Psalms together and we've started in chapter 11 and we're working to chapter 20 this summer and Pastor Todd led us off and it's just been, to be transparent, it's been a season of really heavy Psalms. In Psalms 11, Pastor Todd reminded us of what to do when the foundations are destroyed. In Psalms Psalms 12, he talked to us about the faithful vanishing. In Psalms 13, we lamented our hearts to God, crying out how long as we feel the brokenness of the world. In Psalms 14, we felt our depravity. And in Psalms 15, last week, we felt our inadequacies that we don't measure up to the righteous man in Psalms 15. And so Psalms 16 comes to us today really as a breath of fresh air. If you've ever traveled overseas and you've ridden on a plane for more than 10 hours, you know the relief that comes when you step out of that plane into the terminal and you can stretch your arms out and you can kick your legs and nobody's touching you, right? And you can go to the bathroom and not have to scoot along the aisles and be confined. There's nothing like that feeling after being on a plane for 10 hours to step out and be able to stretch and to move around and to have space. What Psalm 16 is for us is this 11 through 15. We've been flying on this plane and it's been really tight and we felt the pressure. And now we're able in Psalm 16 for just a moment to step out of the plane and step into the terminal area and to stretch out and to just understand and feel the goodness of God. So let's go through it together. Psalm 16, 1 begins with a request. David cries out to God, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve is to keep or to watch. The word picture is of a shepherd preserving or watching over his sheep. This shepherd would keep the sheep from danger. And so David is crying out to God as he begins. He asks God right out of the gate in this psalm, preserve me, O God, or keep me, O God, or watch over me. We're not sure at this moment what David is asking God to preserve him from. We're not sure in this moment what David is asking God to keep watch on him from. I think we'll find it as we go on. But what we're saying, David is saying right now to God is just he's starting out of the gate asking God, preserve me, keep watch over me. Don't let the evil one, don't let evil get me. Why does he ask God to preserve him? The rest of the verse, for in you I take refuge. Like a child who runs to their parents' room during a storm and jumps in bed and gets under the covers with them because they know dad and mom will watch over them, David runs to God and jumps in bed with him and gets under the covers and says, watch out for me. That's what he's saying. Because I take refuge in you, 
Preserve me, God. Watch out for me. What gives David this kind of confidence in the Lord that he feels that he can just barge right into the throne of grace and to say, God, preserve me for in you I take refuge. Well, verses two through eight are going to answer uh, that question of why David would have such confidence in God. Who is this God that he can run, jump in bed and get under the covers and know that God's going to preserve him and protect him? It begins in verse two. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David begins by praising God for his goodness. David believes that God is good and nothing outside of God is good. What he's saying is in verse two that God is my ultimate treasure. That as I look at my life, there is no good apart from God. That he is my ultimate treasure. The same thing is proclaimed in Psalm 73 in verse 25. When it says, whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. This is the psalmist's hearts. That he desires God. That he treasures God above all else. James reminds us that every good and perfect gift in James chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 that every good and perfect gift comes from the father of lights. That, that God is a good gift giver. Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 7 that if we come and ask God for bread, he's not going to give us a rock. If we ask God for fish, he's not going to give us a snake, right? Why? Because he's a good father and he gives good gifts. Do you believe this about God? Do you believe that there is no good in your life apart from God? Amen. Could you say of your life that there is nothing I desire on earth besides God? You see, the devil wants us to believe that there is good outside of God. We, can, we know this because we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And listen to Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5 when the serpent comes and tempts Eve. And listen to what the serpent is trying to get Eve to believe. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch, touch it lest you die. And listen to what the serpent says. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God and know good and evil. What is the serpent saying? There's good outside of God. And he's holding out on you. That's why he doesn't want you to eat of the fruit. Because when you eat of the fruit, you're going to be just like him. And he doesn't want that for you. He's a stingy father who only wants good for himself. So eat of the fruit, right? This is how the devil works in our lives. The essence of sin is this. Believing that there is good apart from God. We get into relationships we shouldn't get into. Because we believe that there is good apart from God. 
We watch things on our phones and tablets and computer and TV because that we know we shouldn't watch because we believe that there is good apart from God. We explore sexual desires that we should not explore in because we believe that there is good apart from God. We medicate ourselves with alcohol and drugs and food to try, the nut, to try and numb the unsettledness of our souls because we believe that there is good apart from God. And David says, there's no good. You are my Lord and I have no good apart from you. You are good and he is praising God for that. Do you believe that? Could you say that? That as you scan your life, there is no good in my life apart from him. Verse three, David says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David then praises God for his people. David loves the people of God and he delights in them. I know you won't remember this from last week because it was family worship, but in Psalms 15 and verse four, David was talking about the righteous man and in the righteous man, he says of the righteous man that in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. There's something about the people of God and honoring the people of God. As David is thinking about taking refuge in God, he thinks about the people of God and how grateful he is for them. This is such a stark contrast in the day and age we live in where we hear over and over again, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. I love Jesus, but I just don't know any Christians that I like. 1 John 5.1 says this, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Let me read that again. 1 John 5.1, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. I'm not here to say that the church hasn't hurt people. The church is made up of people, right? And we're all sinners in this room. And we've all at one time or another, I think could all raise our hand and say, there's been a moment in our life where we've been hurt by the church, someone in the church, leadership in the church. But Christ died for the church, right? So we don't give up on the church We delight in the people that God has brought into our lives. And David in this moment, as he is thinking about God being his refuge, part of his thinking about who God is and his goodness is he thinks about the people of God. And that should be a natural outworking as we think about God is that we think about the people of God and the difference they make in our lives. And so if you don't know any Christians that you like, keep looking, right? You'll find one eventually. Amen. And I would say there's a church full of people in this place that would be glad to love on you and care for you and pour their lives in you because we want to delight in each other. This is not something we have to do. This is something we get to do. I don't have to go to my Antioch group tonight at five o'clock. Nobody's twisting my arm to do that. I have, is there times that I don't want to go to my Antioch group? Sure. 
But it's really important that I'm a part of those people that pour into my life, that I can pour into their life, that I can share my burdens with, and they can share their burdens with me, that we can carry this burden of life together. And I begin to delight in them. And I pray that God will lead you to a place in your life where you'll delight in the people of God. That there won't be this sense of everybody in the church is a hypocrite. I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. But that God would get us in a place in our lives where we love God and we love the people of God. Amen. David goes on as he's thinking about the people of God. In verse 4, he says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offering of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. As David surveys the people of God, his observation is that those who believe there is good apart from God and pursue those things only multiply their sorrows. Because he's, So he's not talking about the wicked that are far from God. He's talking about those who claim to be the people of God and yet they're going after other gods. And he says their sorrows are going to multiply. There was a lady by the name of Brenna Brown who did a TED talk. And as she looked at sociology and sociologists and the research that they're finding, here's what they're finding about our culture. Is that we are the most indebted, the most medicated, the most addicted, the most depressed people in human history. Why is that? Because... The sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. The more we try to find good apart from God, the more our sorrows will multiply. The more indebted we'll be, the more addicted we'll be, the more medicated we'll be, the more depressed we will be, right? Because we're trying to find hope. We're trying to find peace. We're trying to find all of these things apart from God. And as David observes the people of God, those that run to other gods, those who say there's good apart from God, their sorrows are just multiplying. They're building on top of each other and more and more and more. And so David says, their drink offerings of blood, I'm not going to pour out or I'm not going to even take the names of their gods on my lips. David is saying no to other gods. He's not going to go down that path. Why? Look at verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You, speaking of the Lord, hold my lot. In verse 6, he says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David praises God for his provision. He uses terms like you're my portion and my cup and my lot and the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places and you are my inheritance. As the, the readers would have read this, their mind would have ran to Joshua. And remember when Joshua took over the promised land, when God finally gave him the land of promise, what was the first thing that Joshua did? He went and he went to the people and he gave them their land. So he's using the word picture here for them to see how they would line it out and say, this is your lot, right? This is your area. And the land that they were given was to be an inheritance to the next generation and the next generation. And so he's using this as a word picture to say, Jesus, to say that God is my provision. He's not necessarily talking about 
physical blessings, but the perspective that his relationship with God has made him content in the life that God has given him. Because God is his portion, because God is his cup, because God is the one who's given him what he has, he's content in that because God is his portion. His satisfaction is in God alone. Paul helps us understand this in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 4 through 8. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks that he is reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is Paul saying? The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. He goes on in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 through 13. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why? Because Christ is his portion. So wherever the lines have fallen, whether it's a big house or a small house, whether it's good health or bad health, wherever the lines have fallen because he, his satisfaction is found in the Lord, he's good with it because the Lord is his portion. David is saying, my satisfaction and contentment in life comes from the fact that I belong to God, that I know God and that I am known by God. Let me ask you this question. If God gave you that boyfriend or girlfriend, but didn't give you himself, would you be satisfied? If God gave you that promotion, but didn't go with you, would you be satisfied? I think these kinds of questions reveal whether we believe that the Lord is our portion, that the Lord is our all, that he is our satisfaction, that he has provided for us. David goes on in verse seven and says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. David praises God for his counsel both day and night. We find the counsel of God in the word of God and we as God's people should bless the Lord that we have the word of God. You see, the beauty of having the word of God is that we never have to wonder what God's will is for our life. We never have to wonder what God's plan is for our life. We never have to wonder what God thinks about something. All we have to do is open the word of God and he gives us counsel night and day. And we should bless the Lord for that. We should be grateful for the word of God. I'd love how the psalmist puts it in Psalms 119 in verse 24 
When he says of the word, your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. So as David thinks about the word of God, he thinks about it as sitting in a counseling session. And the word of God is the counselor sitting across the table, giving you instructions on how to live your life. And so he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. He also instructs my heart. What a heart we should have for the word of God, that we would bless him for his counsel, that he has given us his word. If you find yourself in a season of, I'm not sure what to do, I would encourage you to open your Bible and begin to seek the Lord through his word and see how it will give you counsel in your life, how it will guide you, how it will instruct your heart in the night. Let the word of God be your counselor. Then in verse eight, David says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. The final thing that David praises God for is his support. This idea of him being at his right, at my right hand, and I shall not be shaken is that God is is a place of salvation, of refuge or protection. That he is there to be his advocate in a courtroom, to be a support in battle, and to be a companion for the journey. David won't be shaken because God is his support. Because God is with him. And so David says, I have set the Lord always before me. As I'm thinking about this first ask of God, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. As I'm thinking about God, I think about the fact that I've set him always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I shall not be moved. The presence of God in David's life brought security to his life. It brought support to his life. And we as the church have that same security today in Matthew chapter 28 in verse 20 when Jesus says, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Amen. What brings us support and encouragement in our journey is the fact that God is with us. And David says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Because David has such trust in God. Because David believes these things about God. Look at the results of this belief in verses 9 through 11. David says, therefore. And remember, whenever we see a therefore, it's always pointing us back to the things that have been talked about. So we're pointing us back to verses 2 through 8, right? Therefore, because of all these things that I praised God for, his word, his people, his counsel, his provision, his support, because of all these things, this is the outworking of it in my life. Therefore, my heart is glad. Therefore, my whole being rejoices. Therefore, my flesh dwells secure. Gladness, joy, security come from God. This is the result of going to God as a refuge. This is a result of him fixing his eyes on God. This is the result of him setting God before him. Gladness, joy, and security. Would those things be true of our hearts? Would those things be true of our whole being? Would those things be true of our flesh? Would people define us as glad, 
as full of joy, as walking in security? Well, the result of us putting our attention on God, the result of us saying that God is our refuge is these things in our life, that we are glad, that we, we, we have joy in our heart and we live in security. I believe then you go to verse 10 and you really find what David's heart is and why he's thinking about this preserving him or the Lord preserving him. Look at verse 10. For you will not abandon my soul in Sheol, which is death, hell, or let your Holy One see corruption. So here's what David is saying. I ask God to preserve me because I take refuge in him. Therefore, I will never be taken out of his presence. Even death, even in death, he will not abandon me. So what he's taking us all the way back to is verse one. And when he's praying, preserve me, O God, keep me, watch out for me. I think what is in the mind of David is death. And so now we're coming down to verse 10 and we're finally getting to the heart of David when he says, listen, you will not, because I know who you are. You're not going to abandon me and my soul to Sheol or to death. And you're not going to let your Holy One see, see corruption. Then verse 11, David says, you make me know, known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's saying everything I need can be found in God. What should I do with my life? You make known to me the path of life. Where can I find joy? In your presence, there is fullness of joy. How can I be truly happy? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David is asking God to preserve him from death. But here's what we know about David. David dies, doesn't he? Nobody's run into David lately, right? Like David went to be with his father's. In the grave. So this couldn't be all about David. This had to be a psalm that was pointing us to someone along the line of David who would come, who would really experience verse 10. Whose soul would not be abandoned to death or let the Holy One see corruption. See, David's psalm in 16 is ultimately pointing us to someone greater. And this is why Peter at Pentecost, when 3,000 people came to know the Lord, would use Psalm 16 as a reference to help the people understand who Psalm 16 was talking about. Listen to the words of Peter as he's preaching at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 25 through 32. I'm going to start in verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Listen, for David says concerning him, listen to what he quotes. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand. This all sounds familiar, right? That I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let the Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, 
Peter says, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up of, and of that we are all witnesses. The power of the Pentecost message was Psalms 16. That as they're listening to Paul and he takes them back, or Peter, back to Psalms 16 and quotes these verses, it's like, oh, that's Jesus. Everyone else we've seen, even David, this patriarch, has died and stayed in the grave, but Jesus is no longer in the grave. He is risen from the grave. And Psalm 16 was pointing them. And now we look back and we read it through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we with confidence, we with full trust in God now can say, yes, he's not going to abandon us in Hades or in hell. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Paul quotes it as well. In Acts chapter 13, he's at Antioch and he's preaching at Antioch. And in Acts chapter 13, verses 33 through 39, he says, This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, Psalm 2, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he was raised from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, Psalm 16, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which he could not be freed by the law of Moses. Psalm 16 is ultimately pointing us to Jesus. It's giving us confidence that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God can be trusted in life and death. If I had to summarize Psalm 16, that is how I would summarize it for you. Because of Jesus' resurrection, God can be trusted in life and in death. And so we as God's people read Psalms 16 and we can say that God is our portion because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? We can say with confidence that God will not abandon us to Hades. Why? Because of the resurrection. We can say that the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. Why? Because of the resurrection. Why would a 22-year-old young man choose this psalm to be preached at his funeral? Because he knew God could be trusted in life and in death. Let me ask you this question. If you were to die today, would you have this kind of confidence in God? That 22-year-old didn't know two weeks from the time that he wrote that, that he would 
that would become a reality for him. And the reality is for all of us in this room today, we do not know when we will step into the final day in our calendar. And so my question for you is if you were to die today, would you have this kind of confidence in God? That because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God can be trusted in life and in death. Do you believe that? Do you have that confidence? If you don't have that confidence, then can I plead with you that today is the day of your salvation. You can join thousands who trusted in Jesus at Pentecost when Paul Peter preached Psalm 16. You can join thousands who God used through Paul to preach Psalm 16 and came to know Christ. You can join the millions of followers of Jesus all over the world that have understood and believed Psalm 16 that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God can be trusted in life and in death. And today you can cross from death to life. Today you can know what it means to walk in light, what it means to walk in life. And today I would invite you to say yes to Jesus. I would invite you to know what it means when we say that there's no good in our life apart from God. Would you do that today? Would you take that step of faith and just say, you know what? Today's the day. I want to be ready. Like a 22-year-old young man who is ready for his death day. I want to be ready for that day. Because God can be trusted in life and death. And I would invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you have questions about that, we have a connection card. Please let us know. We follow up on those connection cards. We call you, put your email address down. I would love to talk with you about what this means because I desire for you to have confidence in life and in death that God can be trusted. And for those of us who have this confidence in God that he can be trusted in life and death, my prayer is that Psalm 16 has breathed life into you that has encouraged you by reminding you that God is good and there's no good apart from him. That it has reminded you that he has made you for community to enjoy the people of God. That has reminded you that God always provides, God gives us good counsel through his word and God gives us support by his presence. Because of who he is, we can say as the psalmist, we have joy and gladness and security in our life. So I pray that it has encouraged you, but I also pray that it has challenged you to examine your heart about whether your life matches what you say you believe about God. It is one thing for us to say there's no good in our lives apart from God. It's another thing for us to live that on Tuesday of this week. It is one thing for us to say that the word of God is our counselor and I bless the Lord for his counsel. It's another thing for us to be spending time in the word on Thursday of this week. It's one thing for us to say the Lord is my chosen portion that I find complete satisfaction in him on Sunday morning and another thing on Friday night. It is one thing for me to say 
that God is my support, that his presence is all I need. And for me on Saturday night to be trying to find a physical presence to fill a need in my heart. I wanna challenge us. Let the word of God instruct us and encourage us and draw us to himself. Father, thank you for your word. And for Psalm 16 in particular, we are grateful today. We're thankful that we can read this psalm and study this psalm and hear the heart of David and and desire even in our own hearts to have the heart of David, but ultimately knowing this psalm was pointing us to someone so much greater than David. It was pointing us to you and to your son, Jesus. And that through Jesus, now we can come back to Psalm 16 and with confidence live our lives, that we can say you can be trusted in life and in death. So I pray today, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room that doesn't have that confidence, that trust in you, I pray today that they would put their faith and trust in you, that they would leave this room with a confidence in you that they've never had before, That they would leave this room knowing that they can live life and no matter when that death day comes, that you are worthy of their trust and their confidence. Draw their hearts to you. And for those of us that have that confidence, encourage our heart. Remind us this week that there's no good apart from you. Remind us this week that we are to be grateful for the people of God. Help us to push in to those relationships even when it's difficult and hard and we'd rather not help us, Lord, to to pursue godly relationships. Help us, Lord, to turn to you in those areas of our lives where we fall short, those areas of our lives where we find satisfaction outside of you. I pray that we would confess those to you and repent and return to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.